If you only take away one thing from today's Breaking Into Startups episode, I want you all to understand that it is okay to ask. And I'm going to repeat that again. It is okay to ask. And often what happens is you result with a higher income, which is why we are interviewing Melissa Hereford, who is an expert on negotiation. And she coaches women at Fortune 500 companies to get what they deserve. Um, it doesn't matter how you identify. This information is revel- relevant, whether you're a woman or man or however you identify, like I said before. And we're going to go in not just on making the ask and negotiation, but we're also going to talk about pay gap. And we're going to talk about uh, differences with style, how you can coach, how you can practice. Um, and, and it's an amazing episode. Uh, we had a live audience during this podcast, which was cool because uh, there's a, a couple women in the room that had just gotten offers and they were able to ask live questions. And naturally, uh, I, I want to ask you all to also ask us any questions that we missed. Um, if this is your first time tuning in to the Break Stars podcast, just know we don't just do subject focused episodes so you learn how to negotiate, but we also explain what's going on in the tech world and give you tactical advice on how to break into tech for whatever role that you're looking for so that you can work in it, level up, or start building your own thing in the future and just be ready for an uncertain future. Um, but yeah, if you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, do it now. Uh, tell your friends, join our community on Facebook, write a review, positive or negative. Email Archer Rubin, Timo Patrick, or I at BreakingStars.com. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Archer, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, for sure. It's Monday night, 8 p.m., and we're recording out of App Academy. And today we have a really special guest. We're going to be talking about negotiations. And I remember when I graduated from a coding boot camp and I was applying for a job, it was nerve wracking. I was coming from a non traditional background, so I had to make a case. And it was extremely important to know how to negotiate because a lot of the time people just kind of, especially coming from nutritional backgrounds, they don't negotiate and it's really important. So I'm excited to have our guest here and she's going to break down how to do it and not just for salary negotiations, which are very important, but also life negotiations, negotiating deadlines, relationships, friendships, and so on. So without further ado, Timur, can you introduce the guest, please? Yeah. Thanks, Arthur. So as you guys know, over the last 10 months, Our community on Facebook has been growing and a lot of people now are not just looking to break into tech, but a lot of them already have broken in and they're starting to think about leveling up, asking their managers for for promotions. So we decided to bring the guest tonight who's going to dive deep into negotiations and give you actionable strategies that you can use to then go and negotiate a higher salary with your manager. So tonight's guest is Melissa Hereford and she's been teaching people how to negotiate for the last 22 years. And her thing is that she doesn't want to just teach you how to negotiate a higher salary. She wants to teach you how to negotiate like a human. And I think you mentioned when you started your career, you worked for Big Group International, which is the biggest negotiations consulting company in the world. 
And she's worked with clients like Cisco, AT&T, Oracle, GE, and other pharma companies and really like understand how to negotiate and how to make sure that everyone wins in a negotiation. So with that said, without further ado, Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And I also want to give a shout out to Christina Rodahau, who introduced Melissa to us, and we're honored to have you. So Melissa, take us back when you were first starting out, uh, kind of what drew you to the field of negotiations? And can you just kind of give us a feel for what is the, like, why do so many people are afraid to negotiate with either their significant others or their bosses? Okay, so let's go back in time then to where I first started out. I've always been really interested in people. I've been interested in psychology, and I was a communications major in college. So once I realized the power of how we talk to one another, negotiation just kept me intrigued my entire career. So a lot of times people say, you stayed with one company for 18 years. How could you do that? (laughs) But imagine just working with people every single day. Every situation is slightly different because humans are so interesting and complicated and unraveling those negotiations is so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've been speaking to people in different types of scenarios, like we said, in corporate settings and Mm -hmm. in personal settings, but you also were a theater major and you did acting and you focus a lot on sales. What was the thing that you learned the most from acting that has kind of like been relevant for you in, in this whole negotiation field? Well, I mean, when you're, when you're, so I didn't really do too much acting. I was a communications major. I worked for a theater company, but being around actors before I started working for the negotiation company definitely exposed me to getting into a character. And because negotiating is so much about your mindset, sometimes you have to pretend to be the person that you are going to be Mm -hmm. in order to become that person. So when it comes to confidence and mindset, and especially you guys are talking to a lot of people who are breaking into startups, Mm -hmm. you're talking to people who are changing careers. You have to imagine yourself as that person in order to build up your confidence to become that person. Yeah. 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 And for a lot of our listeners, I think the biggest pain point is Either they feel the imposter syndrome or they feel like they lack the experience. So when they come to the negotiation table, instead of giving themselves that confidence of saying like, hey, I'm money, like I'm going to provide so much value to these companies, they start doubting their abilities Mm -hmm. and then the recruiter obviously can see through them. So from your experience, what would you say are some of the big like core principles that you've advised your Mm -hmm. clients on to address those pain points before you even show up to the negotiation? So one of the things I advise people to do, I always say like, no one understand your value, but how do you do that? Like Mm -hmm. in real terms, how do you Mm -hmm. do that? So something real that you can do is to ask other people, no matter what job you're coming from, or even if you're like a stay-at-home mom deciding to get back into the workplace, you've done volunteering, people have been happy with the work that you've done. So ask them just straight up, Mm -hmm. what have I done to help you? What am I good at? And when you hear those words, when you see those words at how you're changing people's lives and your whatever your work situation is, you can own them mm-hmm. in a new way. So create a list. Like here are the 25 things that people responded back to me mm-hmm. about. And I can read that list every day and remind myself the things that I do really well. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a great example. And and Timo touched on this a little bit in the intro about people not really asking or not even negotiating because, you know, something that we talk about it. Is how like salaries are almost always negotiable. Yes. 
And a lot of people don't ask. And you had some stats on that. Yeah, yeah. You speaking of like stay at home moms and things like that and pay gap. Can you mm-hmm. can you touch on that? Because you did some some good research on it. Yeah. So there's always the numbers vary a little bit different, but like Payscale and Glassdoor, they do a lot of these kinds of surveys to find out what the gap is. And what they found is that approximately 32 percent of women ask for, you know, negotiate their salary and about 48 percent of men. So that's a huge difference between women and men. And when yeah. you dig deeper and find out why they didn't ask, most of the time they don't even know that they can ask. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then digging deeper, you said of the women that do ask over what, 50 percent? 54%. Yeah. They actually more likely get to get a higher yeah. offer. And so, and then you gave us a scenario of like a woman and a man that got the same offer yeah, yeah. of $100,000. Yeah. Yeah. So using a, just a round number of $100,000. If you are offered that in your first job interview and you don't negotiate and you're, yay, I'm so excited. I'm going to take this job. And, you know, which a lot of us do mm-hmm. if it's an offer that we feel is fair. If the woman doesn't negotiate and the man does and the man gets $105,000 and let's just say for the rest of your career, you get a standard 3% mm-hmm. increase. The difference in that initial $5,000, it just compounds over and over again. And I think the difference in the end can be like half a million yeah. dollars yeah. In, your, yeah. in what you earned over the course of your career. So yeah. now it's important to note that you may already have started your first job and you didn't negotiate. It doesn't mean that all hope is lost and you can never catch up because once you realize that you can negotiate and you're realizing that right now in this moment, you can start negotiating. Yeah. yeah. A lot of your advice applies to women and men. And Absolutely. In your business, you're advising executives, women on how to promote, how to accelerate their careers. But this advice could be applied to men, pretty much anyone and applied to more than just salary negotiations. Totally. Absolutely. And I do focus on women in my Mm -hmm. courses now, but I do, I have worked my entire career with Mm -hmm. both genders and I still do work with corporations for both genders. Mm -hmm. There are slightly different things that I do for Mm -hmm. women because the way we communicate yeah. is different. So it's great to have the opportunity yeah. to do that. What are some of the kind of basic kind of huge no-nos in negotiations? And this is a little bit more like kind of, I guess, more stereotypical, but just kind of what are some of the things that you see over and over again, people are doing wrong when they're negotiating salaries? Okay. Well, we've already talked about not asking, mm-hmm. right? People do all sorts of things like say what they want and then continue talking forever. Mm-hmm. Like I'd really like a hundred thousand dollars because I'm, you know, really awesome at this job and there are all these twenty five thousand reasons why you need to pay me more. When what you should do is just say what you want and be quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Listen. using silence yeah. is really powerful. Yeah. And oftentimes when I'm working with clients and I'll be proposing a solution to them, if they push back on me and I'm just quiet, they will give in because people are so uncomfortable in mm-hmm. that silence. Mm-hmm. You don't have to speak right away. So using silence for sure is a big one. Yeah. yeah. So how would you respond if like, let's say a recruiter gets back to you and they're saying, hey, I just spoke with everyone on the team. They're excited. We want to give you an offer of, let's say, just throwing a number 70K. What do you think? Like, uh, are you interested? Like, what should you kind of, what should your response be? Like, let's say this is happening over the phone. Okay. So if you're excited about the job, for Mm -hmm. sure, say that Mm -hmm. right away. I'm really excited about working with you guys. So there's a little script that I give people in these situations where you show your enthusiasm first. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to work with you. I think I'm perfect for this job for these one or two reasons. And then if you think it's a great offer, 
but you've done your research. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, 70K is like right in the middle. You're going to ask for a little bit more anyway. Mm-hmm. So a good thing to do is to start with a range that you have researched. So let's mm-hmm. say, you know, this job goes up to 85. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give the bottom end of the range, just give the top end of the range. So say I've, you know, I've done a lot of research and I know this this job pays up to 85. Either ask for more and say, I'd really like to get based on my experience 75 or say, ask a question like, how did you come up with 70K? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good time. I remember when I was graduating from App Academy, one of the things that they told us, which was interesting during the career prep is that. Since you're just doing it kind of for the first time and you're facing a recruiter who's been negotiating salaries literally as their day job. So what they advised you to do was try to move the conversation instead of phone to email where you can have more crafted responses. You can even run it by a friend who can provide feedback. What is your opinion Mm -hmm. on instead of kind of going into a live ring, kind of taking a step back and saying, hey, like I'll get back to you and then crafting the response over email? So email is really tricky. If you're negotiating with a recruiter, it's probably fine because you can feel mm-hmm. more in control. So, but if you're negotiating with other people in your life, email can be super dangerous mm-hmm. because people, we, you know how often we misread each other yeah. when we're sitting mm-hmm. right in front of each other. Mm-hmm. You just multiply that in so many big ways when, you know, I'm reading this email and is this a little snarky? Yeah. Does this guy seem mad? You it's like trying to negotiate tell. the text message. Yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. like breaking up on mm-hmm. text, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just should not do that, yeah. right? So email is really tricky. Yeah. If it's a recruiter, you're not going to have a relationship with this person. Uh, but what I would do instead is say, I need to think about it. I'll mm-hmm. call you back. Mm-hmm. And then so is it, okay to, your... is it okay to kind of take the time to say, hey, I might need a couple of days or I got to speak to my family yes. and not give them a direct response right away. Totally. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. That is totally fair to do. Yeah. yeah and that that's actually something that we had Hasib Qureshi on our podcast. Episode number four. Yep. And Fine. he get, offers some amazing advice in terms of like a lot of startups use exploiting offers. And for those that don't know what exploiting offers are, basically you're given an offer and given a deadline. Like let's say like we'd love to join you to join our company and uh, we, like your offer expires in 24 hours. So what this basically does is it forces the candidate to make a decision on the spot or within a very short amount of time. And it kind of takes away their leverage to negotiate or to actually go out and speak to other companies that they're currently in the process with to get more offers so then they can, they have more leverage. And something that Hasib says on his podcast, and yeah. you should totally listen to his full, full thing, is to outright reject any exploiting offers because if you kind of if you go along with it and then change your mind or like you come back i don't know 12 hours later and say hey like i actually think about i think i think i might need a little bit more time then the the recruiter has the leverage what you should do instead is just say hey you know it's not gonna work for me because it's a big life decision for me i need to need some time to think it over and get yourself at least hopefully five days like a week but preferably even more. And then once you have that offer, you should go to everyone else. You know, you're speaking with all the companies, even the ones that rejected you, and just tell them, hey, just wanted to follow up to let you know that I got this offer. Are you interested in uh, continuing the conversation? Yeah. That could be a really good way to... I mean, that was a big point too, because he said like you do that in a situation when you have another offer. And that's like one of the most powerful mm-hmm. situations you could be in, mm-hmm. The big, one of the most leveraged positions yep. that you could be in. Um, and, and something else that um, you talked about earlier that's interesting is now that we're starting to cover a lot of tactics and we're going to continue to cover more um, is we could read all the books we want all day. We could take your course. We could listen to this podcast. But 
it could all be useless because whenever you're in the game, it's a different scenario. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I really focus on that moment in a conversation when things go wrong, when something unexpected happens, when the other person doesn't respond the way you think they're going to. And these are the negotiations that we do every day when your boss says, can you get me uh, that PowerPoint by the end of the day? And you're like, no, I can't by the end of the day. I'm totally booked. I'm totally busy. That is a negotiation in that moment. Mm -hmm. When your coworker says, I'm not going to hit that deadline, that is a negotiation in that moment. And if I respond in a way that's emotionally triggered, like I'm mad or I'm upset or Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to speak up, then I lose my power and I lose my ability to show up in the cool, calm, and collected way that I should be showing up. Well, it sounds very similar to relationships. Yeah, it's very (laughs) applicable. I mean, you guys, I credit the success of my 23 years of being happily married to my amazing husband, Alan Hereford. <laughs> hey, honey. Shout out. Uh, to the negotiation skills that I learned. And these aren't about tactics or manipulating another mm-hmm. person. When I say negotiating like a human, it's these long-term relationships where I learn a skill and I teach it to him. I model it to him. I teach it to my son. We're talking the same language because we're on the same team. And this is true in your negotiations with your teammates, the people that you work with every day. These are people you have relationships with. This isn't about winning and losing. This is about coming to an agreement. Mm -hmm. And we do it through the words that we choose. Yeah. No, I love love that example. And and now that we're talking about role play and we have people in the room that have been entry, like are trying to get their first job or people that are trying to level up. Can you give us a scenario of, you know, someone that's trying to break in, they got their first offer. They're trying Maybe to we do a role play where you yeah. can be someone breaking in and Ruben could be the recruiter <laughs> and he could be asking the pointed questions of like, well, like, why do you think you'd be a good fit for the role? Or like, hey, what is- did you make at your previous job? Yeah. 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 yeah sure. Okay. Sounds good. So. So let's set the context. So, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we actually have someone in the room sitting with us who just graduated from a sales boot camp. Yep. She just got her first offer today. Uh-huh. But let's say... So let's say she already has like, let's take it back a few days before. So let's say she's speaking with a company. She's excited about Mm -hmm. it. There might be some other companies she's speaking with as well, but she hasn't gotten her offer yet. And her background before that was, let's say she's applying for a sales job and her background before was, I don't know, maybe she was a retail clerk or cashier or Mm -hmm. I don't know, something that's completely unrelated. It's a good scenario. It's a good scenario. And now she got a sales offer. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to telling you the kinds of things that I would say, I think it's really important to describe why I'm saying these Mm -hmm. things. So to start with, so many people go into these conversations without doing any research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, call every person you can find on LinkedIn who has a job similar to this and just find out what are you making? Do the research on, Mm -hmm. you know, Payscale and salary.com, Glassdoor, get as much specific information as you can because knowledge is power. If you walk into that room not knowing what you should be making, you are at a severe disadvantage. And it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say because you don't know. Yeah. And they have all, they are holding all the cards. Yeah. So yeah. do your research. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, Melissa, it's nice to finally see you again. I spoke with the rest of our team. Uh, we're excited to give you the ex- account executive offer. Um, it's, it's 150 LTE, 75 base. You have a, a million dollar quota. And yeah, we're, we're excited. What do you, how do you feel about that? Okay. So in this moment right now, you know, no matter what they offer you, you know what the range is because you did your research mm-hmm. 
and you're always going to ask for more. Okay. Okay. So you've prepared knowing what all the statistics are and what all these numbers mean. And you've also prepared by identifying what's really important to you. Yeah. Okay. So if salary is the most important thing because you have a family to support and you've got to have that income coming in. That's going to be your most important thing to focus on. Yeah. Okay. If is a, if a million dollar quota is okay with you, you're used to that or you're comfortable with that, then you don't need to negotiate that, right? Yeah. You don't have to negotiate every single thing. Yeah. Okay. So identify what is negotiable in your mind, yeah. right? So you have all that knowledge going in yeah. and then you're going to say, you're going to give a range up to the high end. So I've done the research and I know that this typically pays up to and go to the high end of the range. Yep. So at that, and then you're going to either ask a question where you say, how did you come up with that number? Or you're going to ask for 10% more. And it might sound like this. So first of all, I'm really excited to be working with you. Mm -hmm. I think this is an amazing company. It's growing like mad. I mean, I love everybody that I met on the team. So you're showing enthusiasm. You're showing that you're committed and you really want to work for them. Yeah. Okay. I really want to to work with you. Uh And and then I can add value in these three ways, as you know. Yeah. Remind them about why you're so awesome. Yeah. And then say, I, you know, as you as you know, the range tends to go up to whatever the number is, the, the high end base. of the eighty-five base. Yeah. And so I'd like to start at eighty. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think I think that's interesting, and I'm glad to hear that you're excited, just like we're excited as well. You know, I think the reason why we're thinking. The 75 range is because even though you have fantastic sales experience, it's more in the retail sector versus like working at a tech company mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's sales. So you perform within the first three months. We'll get you to the 80 real quick. How do you feel about that? So are you saying if I hit my quota, whatever that number is mm-hmm. within the first three, three months, and yeah. we would come up with what that would be that you would bump me up to 80? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is a really fair offer. Don't mm-hmm. you think? I mean, if you're meeting the specific criteria, make sure you get that in writing mm-hmm. because you're proving yourself. So that's one way. So mm-hmm. everything is situational. Mm-hmm. You can say, great, let's get that in writing. What criteria do I need to meet to mm-hmm. be bumped up to 80 in three months? Mm-hmm. Or you can say, okay, now I know already my experience was in retail, Yeah. but sales is sales. Like you said, yeah. I performed, I showed you how I performed in retail that I should, I'm a high performer and that's why you're hiring me. Yeah. So I think 80 is a a fair starting point and it is okay to push back once. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not doing it in a jerky way. You're just, you know, being. Yeah. And to, and to your point, I mean, we, we do um, sell technology to the e-commerce sector. So, I mean, walk me through how your retail experience is stronger than the rest of the Mm -hmm. account executives that we have on payroll. And then you have to be prepared for what your answer is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So So what I would say is like, you should know that if you're going to ask for more, you have to be prepared. right? Yeah. And so what I advise people to do is think of every tough question that yeah. they could ask you and practice answering that yeah. tough question, yeah. because hoping that they won't ask you is not a strategy. Yeah. Like yeah. being prepared is your number one defense. Yeah. No, I think that was a great scenario, especially because yeah. like yeah. that was like the scenario I think all three of us were yeah. in. I remember when I was trying to get my first job, you know, I was a chalice trying to break into yeah. finance and then like going from finance, trying to get into tech. And the first thing I did was like go through all the reasons why people wouldn't hire me, which was my school that I went to, even though it was the best school they never heard of my GPA and all these yeah. other things. But like I had answers for every single one. Right. And yeah, so yeah. like, you know, I remember yeah. we would practice yeah, like yeah. all three of us would practice. That's amazing. You know, so. And I, I, think, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that 
in the, even in this scenario, right? Like, what did you have to lose by pushing back, right? Right. So, like in the beginning of conversation, they expressed interest and they said, "Hey, you have this offer, right?" So, if you just kind of break it down and take a level further, the recruiter would look really bad if you kind of like if something happened during the offer, like offering to the point where like she would just have to withdraw it and she would have to go back to her team and explain to her, the CEO or whoever, the rest of the team that met you, like why you actually didn't get the job. And unless you like, unless you're completely rude with them and you're just like not, you're like very money driven. Mm -hmm. If you stay within the boundaries of being reasonable, they're not going to go through the trouble of like rejecting you on the spot and saying like she asked for for more more money because everyone on her team will be like, yeah, that's a, that's a right. normal thing to do. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So the only thing you had to lose was just having enough courage and having done the research and preparation yes. to actually ask that question. I also want to drop yeah. a statistic that I found before the interview that career builder, they surveyed like millions of people. And it turns out that 50% of people, men and women, never ask for, never push back during the negotiations. And like you were saying in the intro, it translates into like half a million dollars in um like in your lifetime value of right. what you could have gotten. So for the listeners who are listening right now, what do you think? So you mentioned preparation, but like what else can they do to actually have the courage to ask to push back during those negotiations? Because I think a lot of people who are listening now, they're like, yeah, I'm totally gonna like I'm totally gonna oh. negotiate. But tomorrow when they're actually faced with speaking to a recruiter, I'll bet you that 50% of them will never ask that question. So what do you think they should be doing to ensure that they ask that question? So practicing for sure. Say it out loud. I mean, write down your script and just Mm -hmm. practice saying it out loud because when it actually comes out of your mouth, it feels so Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. And so I focus on, in my negotiation training, I focus on those moments Mm -hmm. where you're feeling emotional, right? And if you have somebody say to you what... Ruben just said to me, that's intense. Like if you're not used to that kind of like, well, what have you done to be as awesome as you think you are? (laughs) It's like, you have to be prepared for that. And you you have to be solid. I mean, you cannot be like, well, I think I'm really great, but maybe I'm not. Like now that you're actually asking me, I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. You have to be solid in understanding why you deserve it. And that is so mindset. Like every conversation, you know, if you think I'm just a lowly engineer, or I'm just a lowly tech person, or I'm just starting out, every single person that comes by your desk and says, Hey, Melissa, can you do this thing for me? I'm like, yes, I just started here. Okay, I'll do yeah. whatever. And then you're completely overloaded with work. Yeah. You can't deliver quality because you feel like you don't deserve to mm-hmm. yeah. push back or negotiate or come up with a different deadline that's going to work for you. Yeah. And Archer brought up something too earlier, which was around like people asking how much you made before, which is illegal in some places, but in some places it's not. Right. I mean, it's a common question that people ask. How do you deal with that? So there are a couple of ways to deal with it. One is to ask them what the range is. So you can say something like, what I made before isn't really relevant because this is a different job mm-hmm. and I'm leaving that job because of what I made before. So, you know, they're really not connected. The other thing you can do is say, you know, you guys have a range in mind. You're hiring for this. So I'd love to know what the range is that you're looking at and just throw it back on them. So what if they come back and say, well, in our, like people on our team with your level of experience are making, let's say the mid range is about 85 and they're saying people with your level of experience are making 70K. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's at the very bottom of the range, if not below the, the lowest point, but how do you come back from that? 
So again, it's, you know, yeah. having the confidence in, in your value and practice saying yeah. what, you know, saying yeah. what your script is going to be and having the confidence that you deserve that, not just the confidence that you deserve that, but the knowledge that yeah. you deserve that. The because, numbers to back yeah, it up. Yeah, and you've gone and you've done your research. So yeah. you're not being caught off guard now. You, you know what you're going to say in response. Yeah. I think something that helped me when I was... Um, kind of right out of uh, when I finished coding bootcamp and I was applying for jobs. And I think everyone kind of goes through some self-doubt, especially before you get your first offer. You're like, yeah. well, especially if you've been in the job search for a few weeks or months, you're like, well, at this point, I'll take any job, right? right. You kind yeah. of get to that point where you start selling yourself short. And I think something that helped me remind myself that I should be always asking for more is if I pass the interviews, the technical screens, and I got the actual offer, that means that I'm qualified at least they think I'm qualified, right? right? Yeah. And they think that I meet their standard for an engineer, but it could be any position. So at that point, if they, but them giving me an offer is basically validating that I'm qualified. And that means I should be asking for the salary range, which is of a engineer of my level, right? And at that point, I was like junior to mid-range. Uh, mid, mid so I was asking for a salary that was probably a little bit above what my peers were asking. But at the same time, I knew that Everyone else in their engineering team is making that number. And if they're giving me an offer to join their team, they are going to be comfortable with paying me that salary as well. So, right, right. Yeah. And I think it's also important to highlight that the recruiter doesn't know what you're thinking. So like, you know what you're thinking right, good going point. in and you know that you don't have an offer yet. And you've been interviewing with like 20 companies and every single one of them brought you on site. You spoke to their whole team and you got rejected. But the recruiter who is about to give you an offer, they don't know that. On top of it, I think it's fair to assume that they're probably thinking, well, they're interviewing with us. They're good enough for us to give that person an offer. They're probably getting offers from other companies too. Yeah. So if you can come in and kind of fake it till you make it, then the recruiter will have, like, they won't be able to see right through you. Totally. And yeah, exactly. you have, you have your leverage. So confidence is huge. To your yeah. inner game too. Yeah. Exactly. And speak, speaking of like the inner game and confidence and mindset and things like that, how does nonverbal communication play Oh, into negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So a lot of times you, you may be on the phone or Skype call or whatever, and I'm sure you guys have heard, everybody has heard the statistic that when you're smiling, it comes across on the phone. Yes. So how you're standing, how you're sitting, what you're wearing, when you go in for a job interview, you're wearing something that communicates who you are. If you're on the phone negotiating with a recruiter, get dressed, you know, it will help you feel more confident in who you are. Stand up straight. A lot of people stand up when they're on the phone because it helps you feel more mm -hmm. in control of the situation. So body language is huge. You know, shoulders back. Don't scrunch up like this. You know, just make sure that you're holding yourself in a way that conveys confidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes I think a lot you of might sense. even want yeah. to call your mom and like speak to your mom for 10 minutes. Right. Just so you can <laughs> practice like oh, yeah. uh, I speaking did to her. You can also <laughs> ask your mom to ask you some questions and oh, you yeah. can roll. Oh, I play. thought you were going to say, ask your mom to tell you how awesome you are. <laughs> or, or that. That too. That too. You know, that's, that goes back to that inner that. game. Yeah. <laughs> what are some, so let's say that, you know, you've seen both people, both like any, every type of, you know, gender, you know, male, female, non-binary, you know, what are some common mistakes or like, what are some common differences that you see amongst women whenever they try to negotiate versus men? And how do you overcome those types of mistakes on both sides? So statistically, women are less likely to negotiate. And when they do negotiate, although they're 54% more likely to get what they want, what they asked for, they're also 30% more likely to be called bossy or aggressive or the B word. And so that's a line that women have to 
walk. And Mm -hmm. honestly, you have to be likable and still firm. Mm -hmm. And so a big thing I address in my course is how do you do that? How are you clear? And this is true for men and women, but women, I think, tend to be more subtle in our communication and we don't come right out and say it. And we've learned how to do that over the years as we're growing up, because when we come right out and say it, we're criticized in that way. So learning how to be clear and just say what you want, need or expect in a clear way, like I'd like you to do this. And I, I, I love this example that I learned early on with my husband, you know, 23 years ago when we got married, is that being clear includes what you want and when you want it. Oh, yeah. That's big. yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when, I, when, when I first started learning these skills, I would say, hey, honey, would you please vacuum? And this is like totally politically incorrect because, of course, we share the household duties 50%, right? Everybody does now, right? Yeah. Yep, oh, you guys true. are nodding. Yes, okay. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So I would say, can you vacuum? And he'd be like, yeah, of course. And then it would be like the next day yeah, that's, and that's then the me. day after and the day after. And I realized like, yeah, I have every intention of doing this thing, but putting a deadline on it and yeah. saying, mm-hmm. can you do this thing by today? And I have to do that with, I have a 13 year old son as well, yeah. you know, empty the dishwasher by this time. Or if you have a project deadline or something that you want to have done, just be clear about it. You yeah. don't have to be rude or bossy or bitchy about it. Yeah. Just be clear. Yeah. yeah, totally. And we actually have a question from the audience. Because we're also streaming this live on Facebook. And if you guys want to check out this episode, just go to our Facebook page and you'll get to see this interview. Make sure you uh, hit that recording. like button. Yeah, make sure. Uh, and click share. <laughs> but I guess um, uh, the person is asking, kind of, should you negotiate over the phone or should you try to like negotiate in other forms, either in person or over email? I think it depends on a couple of things. First of all, what's your comfort level? Like, Do you feel more comfortable having the phone space between you? And if you can be in person, either way, there's not like a rule for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think in person, you have an opportunity to show your confidence more in your body Mm -hmm. language, but that does come across as over the phone. And sometimes you can't be in person. So I don't know that it really matters. Like for me, I was like being in person when I can, just because I really like people and Mm -hmm. I like figuring them out. And you can pick up, especially when you're if you're negotiating with the hiring manager instead mm-hmm. of a recruiter, you're going to pick up on all sorts of nonverbal things in the room yeah. that you can use to build rapport. Yeah. So if you can be in person with the hiring manager or even the HR director, like things you pick up around the environment, you can comment on. I really like the way you guys are doing this thing. And it helps to build rapport with the yeah. person. Although we say we, we make business decisions based on hard data. We actually make business decisions based on how we feel about people. So we would rather hire somebody that we like than hire somebody that we don't. And so building rapport is really important. And And, and, and I think just to add to that, if you have these tough conversations in person and you actually showed up to their office and you're kind of demonstrating that you are interested in the company, otherwise you wouldn't just take the time out of your day to go there. Then it also kind of gives you more credibility when you are saying, like, I am interested in your company. Right. It's not just words. You're actually showing them by action. Yeah. yeah. So if you are in that geography, you can be like, hey, I'm actually going to be near your office, like doing another meeting. Yeah. Uh, I can stop by and we can talk in person or come yeah. up with some comeback like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's also OK because like everybody's human and you are negotiating. You don't have to be the negotiation expert. You can say that's interesting. Let me take a break or I need to go to the bathroom or something. Because when you're in person yeah. and you're face to face and you're dealing with these intense like role play that we just did, it can be scary. Yeah. It yeah. can be scary. And let's just acknowledge that right here and say yeah. like, 
this stuff is hard. And that's why practicing it in your yeah. daily communications and deadlines and project specifications and negotiating with your significant other, your kids, all of this, making it a part of just how you communicate yeah. Yeah. with each other makes these big, important, life-changing negotiations like a salary or promotion easier because yeah. you're already used to communicating this way. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you need to take a break and you're feeling like, I just got to go to the bathroom and like take a deep breath, wash my hands, like put some water in my face, whatever, just do that. Yeah. Like you 100%. don't have to stand there Phone like all stoic. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm hyperventilating, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's say that we broke in already. We got a little years on our belt and we're in our one-on-one with our manager. We've been getting some offers. And or we, LinkedIn hit up LinkedIn, in mails. LinkedIn recruiters are blowing always, us up, giving always. us new salaries. Tell us how great we are. Right. Yeah. Even companies yeah, who rejected you a year ago are yeah. now like inviting you to happy hours. Because you're amazing. Yeah. You have yeah. this awesome yeah. blog. So how do we, but we like our job. So how do we get that bump in our pay or whatever it is that's important to us at our organization without coming off like like an (laughs) a-hole. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you should always be having these kinds of career related conversations with your boss. Like always. So you're always planning for the future. And so when you go in for your annual review, you should be always, or your quarterly review, every review, conversations with your boss, you should be always promoting yourself and the great work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So when you go in to have that conversation, it shouldn't be a surprise that you're getting recruited from other people. Like your boss should know how awesome you are. So if you're not doing that, start doing that now. Yeah, That would be like, hey, I got an email from this person. I'm forwarding it to you because it made my day. And it's like a really nice compliment about work that you did. You can, you can brag in these really yeah, not was, jerky it, kind of ways. What was that book? Yeah. There, well, there was a book I read ages ago called Brag. I think there's a more recent one out. I can't remember the name of it, but it's essentially like the art of sharing your accomplishments without coming across like a braggy yeah. jerk. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. But like, I think it's a really important yeah. thing because yeah. you mentioned this earlier in the yeah. pre-chat, like a lot of people do their job. Yeah. They, they deliver a hundred percent over it, especially at big organizations. It's very hard for people to know what you did. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, even so it's like, it's good to document those bullets. So if yeah. anybody asks you or tries to check you on something, you'd be like, wait, what? Boom, 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 boom. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually had a one-on-one today with my manager and uh, he came back from like a two week vacation. But right before he left, we launched a new project we've been working for like two months. And I, like me and my teammates were been working really hard on it. But since he went on vacation right when the project launched, there was never like kind of any recognition. And not that I'm looking for recognition, but... Well, you um, should be looking for recognition though. Yeah, but... Oh, yeah. trust me, he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what, uh, in our one-on-one today, we kind of started talking about like the next project or he um, kind of uh, started the conversation talking about, hey, like, so let's talk about like this new thing that's going on. And I brought it back to before he went on vacation and say, hey, well, I just, before we even start with this next project, yeah. let's kind of uh, do like a little a retro, retro of yeah. like the previous one and how it, it was, we successfully deployed it. There were no glitches and how the our customers, our stakeholders are happy with it. Yeah. And then once he was like, oh yeah, I, I actually forgot that we even did that. Like, that's yeah, awesome. He's exactly. like, we should have um, like team lunch or something yeah. next week to celebrate it. Right. And I feel like small things like that, even though I'm not necessarily looking for recognition for myself, but at the same time, it's just reminding them subtly like, hey, let's just talk about how well this project we work together on yeah. exactly. went. And it doesn't come off like I'm trying to brag, but at the same time, you're making a point to show that, hey, 
like something that we worked on. It went well. Like it's a win for us, yeah. win for the team. Exactly. And then you could use that as a reference point in your year in negotiations or review. Yeah, yeah. If you don't tell, if you don't share, your boss a lot of times doesn't mm-hmm. know what you're working on. I mean, mm-hmm. realistically, your boss is busy too. Like yeah. most people don't have full time management jobs where they're just being a manager. Yeah. They have quote, you know, the sales manager has a sales quota as well, maybe managing a lot of salespeople. And so because, and every manager has their own things, you know, goals that they have to hit. And so although we'd love to think my manager's looking out for me and looking for promotion opportunities for me, it is really up to you to manage that. And and something that we talked about in the pre-chat was Mm -hmm. building advocates within the company. Yeah. So your manager is going to be one of the advocates, but you also want to build advocates on other cross-functional teams. And I would say at my old company, one of the things at the like at the end of the year during the reviews, one of the things we were measured by is like how many other people that you work with outside of your immediate team, how many of them actually emailed your manager and told them like, hey, Timur is doing a great job on this project or like, oh, Timur did this where he went above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you feel like you are building these strong relationships, let's say you're an engineer working with the product manager yeah. or you're an engineer working with a designer, I think it's okay for you to ask them to be like, hey, like, totally. uh, Lynn, yes. um, great project. Like, really enjoyed working with you for the last six months. I know annual reviews coming up. Do you, like, can you just shoot like my boss an email saying like the work that we did together? So you're not even asking them to like say good things, just ask for a review. Right. And then be like, I'll do the same thing for you. Yeah. So what you're doing now is you're building this whole like, crowd of people who are vouching for you. Yeah. And then when you have your one-on-one with your manager, you can be like, well, I did these things and then these people like reached out to you. So then they can take this whole package yes. of why you're qualified and why you're over-exceeding and then totally. take it to their boss. Yeah. 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 That's really, really good. And you know, another thing that people don't ask for is to be involved in these higher level projects as well. So we talk about how important it is to ask for a raise, ask for a promotion, but I work with people all the time. I mean, I, I had a client who called me up and said, so I want to I, I wanna get promoted and my company has developed this leadership program mm-hmm. for aspiring managers, people who are rising within the company. And my boss didn't ask me to be on that team. And I said, well, did you ask? <laughs> and she goes, no, that's kind of weird, isn't it? To ask to be on the leadership team? Like, no, you yeah. have to. And when she did finally mm-hmm. go in, you know, raise a, you know, get her courage up and go in and ask, like, I'd really like to be part of that team. Her boss was really surprised. Like, I didn't know that you were interested in changing or, you know, rising the ranks, so to speak. And she was able to make that change because she asked. But if she hadn't asked, she probably would have left that company. And you know what? When people, when employees leave companies, it's expensive. Yeah, It is expensive to replace employees. And when you have good employees, you don't want those employees to leave. But a manager is not always thinking about what's best for your career. You, yeah. So, you know, your original question around like, how do I proactively manage my career and how do I brag and all of those things, nobody's looking out for you except yeah. you. Yeah, no, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. And in your courses that you cover, what are some things that we haven't covered on the podcast that you kind of like <laughs> share, share with us? Well, so I really focus again. So I focus on this idea that situations are happening around us all the time, mm-hmm. right? And when it comes to gender communication, these situations are often misconstrued because we don't always speak the same language, right? I don't have any control over the situation. Like if I'm in a meeting and I get interrupted and suddenly the meeting has been hijacked and everybody's talking about something different, how do I retake control? What I have control over in every moment of my life is my response. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So my response in these situations that are happening all the time around me yeah. will change the outcome. I like that. So it's situation plus response equals outcome. And the part that you have control over is your response. Boom. And you so, said again, situation yeah. plus response. response equals outcome. And the outcome will change depending mm-hmm. on what your response is. Boom. That's a big yep. one. I like that a lot. Definitely tweeting that out and when this episode comes for out. This, uh, for this, in the, in the example of like you are in a meeting and this happens all the time. Like yeah. you might be the, the one organizing the meeting, but people come in and it might be your higher ups who are just like hijacking it. Right. So what advice do you have for people to kind of bring the conversation back to the topic? Right. So this is where being clear is really important. So you're standing up tall, your body language is communicating that this is your meeting, right? And then you're clear. Hey, I know this is an important topic. I'm here to discuss X. We only have 20 minutes left. If you guys want to talk about this other topic, let's set up another meeting for it. But yeah. with our 20 minutes left, we need to get through this yeah. information. I think that's good feedback. So you're playing like the project manager role with like the project manager hat on. Right. And you're not saying your conversations are not important. You're just saying, hey, like we can set up another meeting and yeah. you're bringing it back to the core of whatever your agenda is. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. So what do you think? What are the some of the common questions that your clients ask you? Because I know you worked with some of the top executives, female executives at companies like Cisco, AT&T, GE. So when they come to you, what sort of questions do they have? Or like what issues are they trying to fix? Or what are those items? So a lot, I mean, we've talked about a lot of them. Yeah. How do I get my point across in meetings? What happens when I get interrupted? What happens when somebody is going on and on and on and on? Or oftentimes tactics like they'll spit questions at you or question your statistics. And we tend to get derailed by these things because they trigger our imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Or they trigger some, either the fight or flight response in you in the moment where you can't think clearly. So, you know, you're like a deer in the headlights or maybe you fight and you start talking louder, but understanding when you're emotionally triggered and recognizing the physical response to that is the first step in stopping it. So it's mostly those everyday negotiations that we're doing that I help people with, because once you get, again, once you get good at those, negotiating a raise or a salary becomes so much easier. Do you, especially for executive, female executives, do you feel like questions about, you know, family, things that people deal with and in what are some ways that you've seen people handle that, those types of questions successfully? Like, do you have a family? Like, or do you, you have a family yeah. or are you pregnant or about to be pregnant or you just got right. married or? Oh yeah, that's really tough. Well, like if I you're interviewing if, for if, a job. I think if you're interviewing and they're. Sometimes you wouldn't know. You yeah. Know, if you you're hiring managers strong. asking you questions, <laughs> are you planning to be pregnant? I feel like it's a sign that you probably don't want to work True. in that company. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really, really good point that if they're asking you questions like that, I mean, you just got to shut that down. Yeah. You know, I don't see how that's relevant to mm-hmm. this conversation. Yeah. But I guess on like on a more executive level, like how is the negotiating for an executive mm-hmm. different than negotiating for someone who just entered the field or a few years into their careers? So the skills are the same. Mm-hmm. It's just you get better at them when you mm-hmm. practice. So yeah. most people, by the time they get to an executive level, are dealing with there's I mean, people still at that level deal with imposter syndrome. Really? Okay. Yeah. Every That's single good to day. Know. I think Absolutely. it's good to know for people yeah. starting out too that Everyone feels everybody the feels it. But are, there, yeah. but are there scenarios where like there might be a bad apple in a recruiting role that's oh. saying questions like what we oh, talked yeah. about before? Definitely. But the company's still good and strong. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Of course. I think that could happen. 
And at least, you know, personally, yeah. like with, you know, my sister and like other people that I know, they've dealt with these types of questions. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. You know what? They're jerks everywhere. Yeah. Really? Seriously. Like, and you have to identify if you're just dealing with a recruiter who is asking you these questions, you have to have the confidence to say, like, it's not okay to ask me those questions. Like, yeah. it's not relevant to the job. Or even if you want to be funny about it and say, like, can you explain to me how that question is relevant to the job? Yeah. Then, you know, turn it around on them and make it like a genuinely, another thing I work with people on is being genuinely curious. Yeah. Like that is so powerful in these situations and just genuinely ask that question. Like, I'm really curious. How is whether or not I'm going to have a family relevant to this job? Yeah. I am really honestly curious to know the answer to that. Yeah. That's a good response. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we actually got another question from the audience. So the question is, what about when during your review, you try to negotiate and you don't get it? What do you do and how do you follow up with the rejection? So I think that's a very common case and that's happened to me as well. Yeah. So how do you respond to your manager who might say, well, right now we don't have the budget for it, but let's address it in six months. Okay. So what does address it in six months mean? Like get specific. Well, well, let's come back to it. Or like, hey, like I think like... Let's say it's a, it's your mid-year review, yeah. not your annual review. Yeah. So you're looking forward to that conversation and then your boss is basically telling you, hey, you know, like we really like your work. You're awesome. But, you know, like right now we already allocated all our budget in the beginning of the year, even though you know that there's other people in the company getting promotions <laughs> at all points right. throughout their right. career. So, you know, it's kind of like it's almost like an excuse. Right. But they're basically saying, hey, like let's like I want to see you take more leadership roles and let's address it in six months, which is basically kind of kicking the ball down the road. So how do you kind of address that? So you want to get really specific Mm -hmm. on, first of all, what do you need to do to get that raise Mm -hmm. and get a commitment about what that raise will look like? So, okay, I'm asking for a 5% raise now and you just said no. Mm -hmm. You said we could revisit in six months. I'd like to know what exactly I need to do to Mm -hmm. get that and make Mm -hmm. sure that it's in your budget because Mm -hmm. this is important to me. I need to be recognized. I need to be paid for the work that I'm doing. And I know that other people are getting getting raises. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to do to build that into your budget Mm -hmm. and get specific and then document afterwards, send your boss an email Mm -hmm. that says, hey, it was great talking to you today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation that we're going to have in six months where I agreed to do these three things and you agreed to yeah. increase my salary. That's actually a very good point because I remember when the first time I negotiated my like my salary, I had these awesome conversations. And then like six months later, my manager didn't remember that conversation we had. Exactly. <laughs> right. So exactly. Unless you have an actual like email is a great proof. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be. I, I think the way you worded it was perfect where you just kind of summarize what you talked about and just outline, hey, these are the goals that I'm going to be shooting for over the next six months. I'm excited. Like I'm looking forward to it. And then just kind of drop that. This is a commitment that you guys came together. So then in six months, you already have your ammunition, right? You just say, but also don't wait until the six months and then you're walking in the room and you're like, Hey, I met all these things. Like you should be dropping. Remember your career, you're managing your career every day, Mm -hmm. not just at your six month review. So when you meet one of those objectives, you're going to document it to your boss. Like, hey, I did this thing and I'm well on my way to hitting my goals yep. in six months. So yep. your boss has already forgotten, even if you send them yep, exactly. an email. Yep. That's You're planting the seeds all along. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I think what happens is a lot of the times, in some cases, your manager will like give you that raise in six months. But in some cases, you kind of almost need to know when to walk away. Yeah. And I think a lot of people say that in a negotiation, the person who has the leverage or the person who is willing to walk away from the table 
kind of holds the power. So how do you, what do you advise in terms of like, how do you get that leverage? And, and then also like, where do you draw the line to the point where at some point you might be like, all right, well, like this is where I'm going to walk away, yeah. which could, which doesn't mean it's going to kill the deal, but it will show the other person that, Hey, you know, your self-worth. So then they'll come back and actually like grab you back. Yeah. So if you've been documenting along the way and six months comes and your boss says, yeah, I just can't do it. I couldn't get the money. That's a point where you have to say, well, gosh, you know, we had an agreement and I'm disappointed that you're not going to follow through on your side. I followed through on my side. Here are all the things that I did. And there are some companies that you will just have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think in the pre-chat we asked, is it okay to, I think one of the guests here asked, is it okay to go out and get an offer from a different company for a higher salary and then come back to your manager and be like, listen, like we talked about get, getting a raise. There's other companies who want to give me a raise or a higher salary. Like, do you guys want to match it or, or what do you guys want to do? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, it depends on the situation. Yeah. Okay. So it is definitely taking a strong stand. And if you can go in there and confidently do that, just know that it's going to affect your relationship and you have yeah. an ongoing relationship with your boss. And you need your boss to be an advocate for you if you want to get promoted. So you need your boss to be sharing your successes with his or her boss and his or her boss. So if you really do want to stay in that company and you think you have a a future there, then that's just a hardball negotiation tactic. And that's not what that's not Mm -hmm. the kind of negotiating that I teach. I mean, I teach people to have relationships and hopefully you have the kind of relationship with your boss where your boss wants to be your advocate. And you're showing your boss how awesome you are all the time. And that makes your boss look good too, because everybody wants to look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to look good. That's like an absolutely across all the boards. Everybody wa- always wants to look good. Yeah. yeah. But I think you could mention potentially like, like not necessarily that, Hey, you, you went out and got an offer from somewhere else, but you could say kind of when you're citing reference point of the range, you could say, well, a lot of my friends work at these companies and this is what they're making. And a lot of them are telling me that, hey, like there's open positions at their companies and I could get a job there anytime I want. And like, this is a kind of a smoother way of communicating pretty much the same thing that, hey, you have other options that are much higher without breaking that relationship, like you mentioned, where you're basically kind of putting them in a corner where like, hey, you either give me more money or I leave. Right. Which is yeah. actually not a win. Even if you get get the money, it's not really going to be a true win because right. you're going to lose that relationship. Right, them. exactly. And, and your boss today may, be, may move to the, ne- the next company with you. I mean, this, the world is small and we're always running into each other. Yeah. So you want to keep your advocates and you want to keep your relationships. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't go in and share data? Of course not. You know, you've done your research and you come in with this data. And if that includes offers from other companies, if you're using it as a data point versus mm-hmm. using it as like a threat, there's a big difference between mm-hmm. the two for yeah. sure. And you also have to be prepared for your boss to say, go for it. Yeah. Like, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Have <laughs> you ever dealt with people that, oh, no, you can say that. <laughs> have you ever dealt with people that, um, are negotiating, but the hiring manager has budget constraints, but you're flexible for things that are more than money. You want to get creative on like ways that you could unlock budget. So you like propose a different type of a package or sometimes even get them to create a position for you. And I know that's very common in startups. Like, have you ever dealt with a lot of things like that? Yeah. I mean, that's what I did in my own career Yeah, for sure. My own career. So if you're there, first of all, you have to know that you can do this, right? 
And you have to have a certain level of confidence to go in and say, like understanding the landscape of the company and what they need. But if you're managing your career and you're looking for pain points within the company, you can go and propose like, I see this huge problem and I can fix it. And that is a very, very powerful yeah. position to be in yeah. And yeah. because you are tr- you are providing tremendous value to your company at that point because you are showing initiative, you're showing that you're a go-getter, you're showing that you want to solve a problem for them. And that is powerful. Yeah. yeah. And you've in the pre-chat, you mentioned that you've actually done it with your first job as mm-hmm. a negotiation consultant. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us that story? Because I think it actually serves as a great example of what you just mentioned. Yeah. So like a hundred million years ago when I started, uh, it was like 1995, (laughs) I started my, I interviewed for this job. I remember it was 1995. It was my first real job, like with benefits and a salary. And I'll tell you guys that they offered me like $27,000, my first salary. And I was so excited. I called my husband. We'd been married for like a year at that point. And I was jumping up and down and saying, we're rich, we're rich. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, seriously, this was 1995. So, you know, it was a long time ago. I didn't even know what I didn't know. But once I got, once I took the job and I did not negotiate my salary, even though I was interviewing yeah. for a negotiation training company, I quickly realized my mistake and did not let that happen again. And I, I more than quadrupled my salary over the first five years I was there. Now I did it by having strong relationships with everybody that I worked with. And part of that was seeing where the opportunities were. So I was hired in one position, but I quickly saw there was a need for a whole project management system within the company. So I proposed to my boss, I really think we need a project manager role in this company. And here's what that would look like. And I would like to do that. And they created a position for me as the first project manager for the company. And from there, I grew the department. I think at our peak, I had 15 people on my team that had, hadn't been there before. And that helped the company grow significantly and always coming up with ideas about how we could do things better and proposing those things more efficiently and make more money for the company made me more valuable. And yeah. I was able to ask for more because I yeah. proved that I was adding value. Yeah. yeah, Especially at startups. And if you're listening, then hopefully you found a startup that's growing. And in a lot of these places, there's always a need, there's always pain points. And if you're like hardworking, you're a hustler, you're going to try to figure out, identify the biggest pain points that you could solve. And then like you mentioned, going out there and offering to help and putting together a plan, they're probably thinking about hiring someone for that role or like that area anyways. So this could be an amazing um, like 10x move to go from just like a an employee, like mid-level employee to becoming like a head of a department or being in charge of something that, that then could lead you to becoming much more senior in way shorter time, right? Yeah. And don't wait for them Mm -hmm. to ask you like i cannot stress this enough like go out there and get it go out Mm -hmm. there and ask for it if you see a need that needs to be filled and here's the other thing a lot of times you should not take no for an answer Mm -hmm. so there's this amazing woman her name is kathy hughes she was the founder of urban i think it's urban one is what it's called now it's the first african-american radio station in the country Mm -hmm. and when she was trying to get the money to buy that radio station in dc i think it was like the late 70s. Anyway, she had to go to 33 banks Mm -hmm. to get that money. 33 Mm -hmm. banks. Mm -hmm. So imagine like you go in and make a proposal to your boss and your boss says, no, are you going to just die or, you know, walk away from (laughs) that because you got to know? Like think of these people who 
have stood up in the face of tremendous adversity. They believe so strongly in what they were doing that they were able to be brave and be strong and ask again and ask again. Okay. So that idea isn't going to work for you today. What if this idea were to work or let's look at this from a different angle and just continue to be genuinely curious and ask for what you want if you believe in it. I think that's an amazing example. Can you tell the people some things that they can negotiate for outside of salary and equity? So there's, you know, the common ones, which are telecommuting, paid time off, you know, things that are the the softer, like like unlimited paid time off or extra paid time off, being able to have a more flexible schedule, come in later, work for, from home certain days. I'm sure there are lots of others that... I think can you guys one thing, think of yeah, yeah, one of them is just get your company to pay for courses that you can take that to level up one, or pay one. for your conferences. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. at the end of the day, companies actually have like learning budgets. Exactly. So if you want to, let's say, learn iOS development, and you came in as a JavaScript developer, you can potentially convince your boss to be like, hey, like there's a course that's like $5,000 and yeah. it might be a lot for you to pay out of your own pocket. But for a startup uh, to have an engineer now who's versed in both right. both of those languages, they're actually getting a lot of value out of it. Yes. And yeah. if that so, is very, very, very common is go to your manager and say, I want to take this class. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the women that I work with when I do negotiate with confidence, my class, I say, I give them the tools that they need to ask. And then getting a professional development approved for your company to pay for it because it's going to improve your skills in these ways. So know that most companies do have it. And if they don't have it, be the person who gets your company to offer it mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. You, you should know how expensive it is to replace you. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. hiring, recruiting and training someone. I've seen estimates as high as like $100,000 mm-hmm. to replace an employee. Oh, yeah. If they can you know, level you up and, and get you better, mm-hmm. you already know the company. You already know the ins and outs. You know how to get things done. You become more and more valuable the more education you add. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people in our community come from really poor backgrounds. And I know we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit one more time. Yeah. You know, you could come from a really poor background. You could go through the challenge and take our resources and do whatever, and then you get a huge offer, $100,000 offer. Some people have issues negotiating because they feel like they're not humble or that they're being too, they're asking greedy. for too much right. and greedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, yeah. What, what do you have to say to them in that regard? So if this is your first job and you're really excited about the job and, the, and you think the salary is amazing, sometimes there are times where it's okay just to take that job and feel awesome about it and then continue to negotiate as you go forward. Yeah. So if your mindset is like, I don't know how I'm ever going to do this. I'm such an imposter. Allow yourself just to feel qualified in that job for a while and then negotiate like it is okay to take things one step at a time we're talking about huge huge mindset things yeah i think that example is a great example let me give i would add i I would just add that do your research to make sure that yeah yeah Yeah. so like if the other people are getting paid way more for that role yeah and you don't know that you're getting a lowball offer well, yeah. I mean, we yeah. already talked yeah. about like you yeah. have to do your research. You yeah. have to know what the salary but, range is. Yeah, but how do you get over the mental game? Yeah. Because like it's still a high offer to yeah. you. Right. Exactly. You did your research. You know that you deserve more. Right. How do you get yeah. over that mental game? I would do role playing, like mm. practice saying it out loud with the person. Like if you have a family and you're going to be going home to your family and saying, oh, my God, I'm making $100,000 and everybody's freaking out because you're making so much, then 
normalize it within your conversations. Yeah. You know, don't make it a secret thing. Then it becomes kind of shameful and weird. And I don't want to talk about my salary with you. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think we should all walk around with a tag on our shirt that says what our salary is. Like salaries should not be so secret. Do you know what, like how come salaries are so like secret? I think it has to do with the entrepreneurial mindset in America. Like Mm -hmm. I look at you and say, well, he's making a hundred thousand dollars. I could make a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm only making 70. So I'm ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's kind of like, it sounds like a norm because back in Ukraine and that's something that kind of, uh, whenever I speak to my family members, uh, like they're always like, so how much are you making? How much? I'm like, that's so like uncomfortable to answer right, that question because right. my family f- came from Ukraine, but in Ukraine and like Soviet Union, it was very comfortable to ask your coworkers what you're making. And it, w- yeah. it was very like, everyone was very open about it. I mean, part of it is probably because it was communism and it was more like standardized. Yeah. But at the same time in the US, it, it was actually a shock to my family and myself, kind of like everyone keeps their salary to themselves. And but in reality, you are hurting yourself yes. and like by keeping the number to yourself, because if everyone does, then there's no transparency exactly, and you don't know yeah. where you stand in relation to yeah, everyone yeah. else. And yeah. And, and so if you I think it's our fear that mm-hmm. we are not making as much as the person sitting next to us. Uh-huh. And it's that because we know there are such huge discrepancies, mm-hmm. unless you're working for the government where you're like, yeah. I'm in pay grade number 346. Yeah. You know, you could be sitting next to somebody who's making twice what you're making and not yeah. know it. And yeah. it's kind of like, I'm afraid to find out mm-hmm. that I'm making less because then everything I think about myself and my self image yeah. is challenged in that yeah. moment. Yep. Yeah. And I think just as, as a, as a practice, even if you are in a, in a job where you're making a good salary. I think just probing that question with your manager and asking for more, even if you think you're getting compensated fairly, you'll just get a better sense of like what the ranges are within your team. Because if you ask for fifteen more, fifteen thousand more, let's say, and you get it right away, then you kind of you get a sign from you get immediate feedback that hey, you're probably being underpaid. Versus if you ask for five thousand and you get pushed back a lot, then you go, all right, I'm probably am at like the high range of my like salary. But that could also be a good way to just feel out where you are based on how willing the managers is. Um, yeah, listen, most managers are not going to come to you and say, "You are so amazing. I want to give you this gigantic raise." Like it does happen mm-hmm. on occasion, but it is so rare. Only in so movies. I know, right? Like if you and I. If you're asking and I'm not, yeah. you're going to be making more money than I am because you're asking. True. Right? Like if I don't ask, my mm-hmm. boss isn't going to be like, I love you. You're, you're let me give you another 10 grand. Yeah. Like they yeah. remember they are being measured on managing their budget. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the least they can pay you, the better for them. Mm-hmm. Only if it's teamwork because his resume is so strong. <laughs> <laughs> Here, have more money, more money, more money. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, and uh, one last thing, I think it just comes down to like what you. I love that your point about like find a way to add value, and while you're doing it, make sure you just define on paper what exactly your manager expects. So you can hold them to it, and then just go out and think creatively, like become the best employer that they've never seen before. And then they're they're gonna do everything in their power to keep you because yeah. they'll just realize your value and that you're delivering more than five people on the team. Well, they won't realize your value. You yeah. have to remind them. You have of to remind. So, yeah, yeah. so I guess the three exactly. steps is get them, discuss it with them so you can get it on paper or on an email. Then keep reminding them yeah. about your value. And number three, just go out and do your amazing work in areas where they don't even think they need help with and prove yeah. to them that you're worth the employee. Right, right. Yeah. So exactly. with that said, we're going to move on to the lightning round. And this time we're going to get the live audience love involved it. Yeah. too. 
I'm sure you've listened to several of our episodes. Yeah. So for those who are just tuning in to the podcast, the lightning round is basically based around actionable strategies, tactics, and resources that you've used or you've advised your clients in their negotiations. So with that said, Arthur, do you want to go first? And you guys can start thinking about the questions. And you all could ask us questions uh, back too. Yeah. So. so if you could send out a tweet to the entire world, to 5 billion people in the world, and it doesn't have to be about negotiations, but it could be. Like, what would it be? And like, what would you tell one of those people to know? I would say, believe in yourself mm-hmm. enough to stand up for yourself. Oh, I like that. It's awesome. good. It's good. I just and, made that up on the spot. Yes. I'll favor it and retweet okay, it. All right. You can drop the mic now. All right. Awesome. All right. So now we're going to pass it to our live audience and they're going to ask some of their questions that they have. Yes. Yeah, so just introduce yourself. Melissa. Yeah. Hi, guys. My name is Vika. I'm also from Ukraine originally. Hi, Vika. Um, hey, Vika. So, hi. My question would be around, so we said that we should practice these things with deadline, negotiation, relationships, and all that on a daily basis, right? The whole time I was listening, all this stuff was very relevant to what I'm doing because I'm in sales, but also I have teammates as well. So I'm trying to apply in my head like, oh, I could have used that. But at the same time, I'm trying to think, and this is a devil's advocate in me, how much of this can you do (laughs) during the day so that you're still practicing, you're, you're practicing what you should sound like, right? But at the same time, you're not a pain in the ass. And your manager is not, oh my God, like not again. Like I just asked you for this date. Can you just agree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's a great question because you don't have to negotiate everything just for the sake of negotiating. Right. I mean, then you're, everybody hates you. There's and a like, fine line. <laughs> I know, right? Like oh, she's negotiating the deadline again. Here she goes. She took that negotiation course. Yeah. Because everybody will hate you for sure. Like don't talk to she's them. She's using all the um, tricks. Yeah. But I mean, one of the fundamental things about negotiating is being genuinely curious. And you can use that every minute of every day and it will enhance your life tremendously. You'll find out what's important to other people. You'll find out what's really going on beneath the surface. So you may not be negotiating a deadline, so to speak. But if somebody says like, I need this by... It happens all the time. It happened to me every day. I would have salespeople because I worked primarily with salespeople in my last corporate job. They would say things like, Melissa, can you put this presentation together for me for this client meeting on Friday? And I would say, like, I I had a choice in that moment to say, like, okay, and then figure out a way to get it done. But by being genuinely curious, like, well, what's going on on Friday? Yeah. And just asking questions about it. I swear, like 98% of the time, like no offense to salespeople, but they would just say things like, I don't know, Friday just seemed like long enough. Yeah. Like seriously, there was nothing behind it. And we jumped through hoops to try and meet deadlines for people. And it's not that they're trying to be a jerk. They're just like, I don't know, three days. That seems like plenty of time to put together a PowerPoint presentation. Reminds me of investment banking. Remember that? Three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hi, my name is Anna. I have a question for you. So negotiation goes line in line with uh, manipulation. So how do you feel when you're being manipulated instead of negotiated? Okay, so that is a great question because people who are using tactics to get more of what they want, it feels gross, right? You're like, you don't care about me and you're asking me these questions, but I can tell that you're just trying to manipulate me toward the answer. So if you have somebody like that in your life, again, genuine curiosity is a great way to disarm that and turn it around on them. And it's something that is pretty insightful. So start asking them some questions and be genuinely curious about what they're saying. It's a good way to disarm those kind of tactics. Was there one in particular that you're thinking of that you want to go go over? No, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because that's a good point. Because yeah. a lot of times, you know, people go to 
lawyers for negotiation yeah. skills. Like people always ask me, are you a lawyer? No, I'm not a lawyer because lawyers are amazing, but they are really focused on getting a deal, that one deal. Like we need lawyers, right? To get deals, to mediate, but they're not facilitating a long-term relationship with this person. Like you've got your deal and it's time to move on. If you're in sales, if you're trying to have a relationship with the other person, like your customers aren't going to keep buying from you if you're manipulating them. Yeah. Like we pick up on that stuff. And I would say like what you're sharing with everybody is you're teaching everyone a superpower. This negotiation skills, a superpower. It's like sales is just like engineering is data science, everything. And those things can be used for good and for bad. And so, you know, when you understand where you are in a conversation and negotiation, you know, you have different choices or you have control over your response. And so if you want to use your response to manipulate, you can. Or if you want to come to a mutual agreement that's going to work out, that's cool. But that's your choice to do that. So that's. Yeah. And I definitely don't uh, don't advocate being manipulative. It's just I mean, especially today when we're so focused on having authentic connections with one another, you know, technology can drive us apart and we can feel very lonely and alone. And so we're looking to like, we look at Facebook live, for example, because we want that authentic connection with the people that are in our audience, the people that are in our lives. We don't want to be manipulated. And I certainly hope that nothing I've said tonight came across as encouraging you to do that because that's not how you build long-term relationships. I think you had a follow-up question. Yeah. So I think I know what you were talking Go ahead. Keep the mic up. Um, can you hear me? <laughs> yep. So when you, for example, when you receive an offer, right, mm-hmm. and you have a number, it's okay to ask why? Because we covered that right. earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because you really are curious. You really are curious. So, like, okay, let me give you an example. I was interviewing for a job and the hiring manager gave me a range for the job. And then when I got the actual offer, the offer was under what the range was that he gave mm-hmm. me. So in that moment, of course, immediately I thought, Oh my God, he went back to my resume and he looked at it. He realized I wasn't as great as I, as he first thought I did. But then I had to stop that because remember the situation's happening, but I have a choice about how I'm going to respond for the outcome to come out different. What was that formula again? Situation plus response equals outcome. Yes. So I wanted the outcome to, you know, I didn't want the, I didn't want my response to be freaking out like, what, what's happening here? So I got genuinely curious yeah. and I was, I just asked like, how did you come up with that number? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I love it. I love it. And I know, you know, you mentioned a book today. Uh, there was the Bragg book, which is a cool book. There's thousands of books yeah. about negotiation. And I know a lot of them can say the same type of things, but in your experience, I know you're a student of the game. What are the top three to five books that you've read on negotiation in case the people want to not just read your course, but also just like, find you know yeah. the inspirations for it and things like that there's a great book called ask for it okay and it's a pretty famous book she gives the author linda babcock gives example after example after example of people who didn't realize that they could ask for things like in the very beginning of the book she tells the story about how she was a teacher a professor at a university and the women phd students came to her and said we want to know why all the men are getting classes to teach Why aren't we getting classes to teach? And so she was like, I don't know. Let me find out. She went and found out that all the men had asked Mm -hmm. to teach a class. Mm -hmm. It was very eye-opening. It's like in the first five pages of the book, but it's just story after story. So it's very readable. Yeah. Examples of things that you could be asking for that you didn't realize. I love that one. Yeah. Other books are... Or maybe blogs or podcasts. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's a great podcast by a guy named Kwame. Shout out to Kwame. His podcast, Negotiate Anything, is great. He interviews people about all sorts of negotiation, persuasion, influence. I've been a guest as well. You can get a link on my website. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. definitely check it out. That's a great one. Anything about persuasion and influence is really are really connected to negotiation techniques. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so. My question to you is it's around confidence. So a lot of the times their under underlining core principle of a negotiation is yeah. to have the confidence. And you mentioned that you have a 13-year-old son, right? So mm-hmm. as a parent, what have you done in terms of either like, I guess, behavioral things or what advice do you have for people listening either to improve their own confidence or improve the confidence of their children mm-hmm. or maybe their sibling, a younger sibling, or maybe like their parent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, these when I say I like wrote my husband into these conversations, I do the same with my son. So if I'm teaching something, I've been doing this little mini series on resilience and I'll say, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. Like your kids are human too. You know, yeah. if I'm being clear about something, I'll say to him, like, I'm being clear about this right now. Like I want you to do this by this time. And kids really respond well to that. They like it when you're clear with them, but they also really benefit from just having this conversation. Like, yeah. Here's how you influence people. Here's how you have this kind of conversation with people so that you get more of what you want. When I am negotiating for my salary, I will tell him like I'm, you know, I'm negotiating with a client right now and here's what it looks like and here's what they said and just sharing those examples with your family and with your kids teaches them so much. Like we put up this veil of secrecy between each other with our salaries by breaking down that veil. And it's like, I remember early on when my son was really young, I heard somebody talk about how important it is to share your failures Mm -hmm. as well as your successes. So we hear in popular culture all the time, like fail fast and fail forward, but failure is really, really hard. And kids are under a lot of pressure to perform well in school and all of those things. And they are just going to fail just like we are. If we're not failing, we're not trying hard enough. Exactly. And it's the same for them. So by me sharing my failures with him, I think it's given him, and he may be watching on Facebook Live right now, I don't know, but I think that it's given him more permission to fail than if I were silent on that subject. And I completely agree. And I think just to add that kind of a lot of this, you could start practicing small. You don't need to go out and start negotiating your salary. And I think with kids or just your friends, just encourage them to take those risks and have these semi-uncomfortable conversations just for fun. And then once they get a like used to it, then when they actually have to have a difficult conversation with their boss, they'll be more kind of likely to go out there and kind of, despite what their inner voice is saying, just go for it anyways. And Tim Ferriss had a great point, he basically had like a challenge for all, all his listeners to oh, yeah. go and ask for like a 10% discount at a Starbucks. Like as yeah. you're getting coffee, like what's the worst thing that could happen? Just ask yeah. for 10%. That's really good. Okay. So that reminded me <laughs> of that. a, uh, that reminded me of this Ted talk that you mm-hmm. have to watch. It's called a hundred days of rejection. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the guy wrote a book about it as well. And he documented every single day Mm -hmm. he went out and asked for something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they were just little things and sometimes they were really big things. And he documented in this book how much more comfortable he got with Mm -hmm. rejection. Like the the first time he went into Starbucks and asked for a discount and he was shocked at how often (laughs) people said yes. 
yeah. like shocked the people he i think one example was he like asked somebody if he could plant flowers in yeah. their front garden yeah and they said yes i mean who would say yes to that right but people do say yes man i love the food example because i always try to like make up things that aren't on the menu by combining things that yeah. they don't have and just try to get a discount yeah. for it or chipotle is a perfect example yeah exactly um, so good. my buddy jeremy uh burke actually uh when we went shopping together at a shopping mall I usually go and like look at this ticker, like ticket prices, the sale item, like right, like just try to get a good deal. Yeah. He would just straight up go to the cashier and say, "Hey, can I get thirty percent off?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they would be like, "Well, they either would have like a promotion, or they'd be like, well, you could actually like combine this coupon with this new promotion, and you could get this like forty percent off." And yeah, if you never ask, you'll never get. Yeah, it. Or they'll totally. be like, "Do you have a Safeway card?" I'm like, no, but do you have one? <laughs> yeah, and they do. They have them in their in their drawer right yeah. there. For exactly. you. It's exactly. totally yeah, true. And one thing that R- Ruben loves doing is showing up to restaurants without a reservation at like a yeah. peak hour and just flexing on that. I, I do like yeah. I do like I do like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I think we have another question from yeah. the audience. Hey viewers and listeners, it's me, Lou, the best cameraman in this room. Hey. My question <laughs> is what are your thoughts when it comes to negotiating, not just for salary, but what if you want to negotiate for like assets or equity or maybe like you get certain times off or something like that other yeah. than just money? Yeah. So again, do your research, like call your friends who work at startups and find out what they're getting. Just so you have that will just give you more confidence. Then take the time to plan. Okay. So make a list of everything that you could negotiate and have in your mind like the longest list possible. And then prioritize, what do I really want to get? Like, what's my number one thing? I'm going to push really hard on this all the way down to the least important thing. So if you don't have all that data in front of you, you know, that emotional moment that we've been talking about, like in the pressure of the situation, you were never going to be able to remember all those things. Mm -hmm. It's just not humanly possible to remember them. So take the time to make a list and prioritize what's really important to you. And I actually read, I don't remember which book I read this in, but you could also kind of, and again, this is more of a tactic, so don't blindly apply it. But if let's say there's three things that you want, you could also like prioritize like whatever you want the most, make it second, and then make the first ask seem bigger than it really is. So let's say you actually care about working from home, but you don't really care as much about, let's say, getting a, like a 3% raise this year. So you can make it about the salary and say, hey, like, so I really want to get a, like a salary bump. Like my friends are making, I don't know, 15% more. Like, I know start going there. And then your boss is going to say, whoa, like we don't have the budget and none of this. And then you're like, well, you know, I also was thinking about getting like getting one day from home and who knows yeah, like right. if you that, that's um, a good one. That's if you bring really up those cool. two points if he says no to one he's gonna feel he or she's gonna feel bad about saying no to both and you might be able to get what you want yeah like have yeah. you heard that story about the kid who asks for a pony for his birthday when <laughs> oh, he really yeah. wants a dog <laughs> <laughs> like or a gerbil you know dog yeah. is so reasonable compared to a pony yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean that that example also gives me a, a it reminds me of something that happened. It's not exactly apples to apples, but like a lot of times you could do all the preparation for an interview and sometimes overconfidence like messes you up and you, you might answer all the questions that pass the technical bar and then like get yourself into a danger zone by doing something else. But sometimes like once you learn from that situation, you could be in another interview and you pass the basic answers that they, you know, they, they'll be like, oh, wow. Like, so that was easy for you. You'd be like, ah, you know. And so like sometimes that's, that sets you up a little bit better. So I, I remember that, especially with the 
the DCF example, when I was trying to get into a bank, I passed that really easy. But then I started trying to talk about complicated like merger models that mm-hmm. first years didn't even have to deal with. But then like in my second interview, the DCF was just a basic question. So yeah. I stuff like that. So yeah. yeah. And I think uh, t- I think we talked about it in the intro. You also, when you're coming into ne- these negotiations, especially if you're coming from a non-traditional background, you you almost know the types of questions that you'll be that you'll get asked. So it's like a game of chess. Like you know that if you move there, most likely they'll respond with this move. Yeah. So just take a second to like what Ruben was saying. Make a list of pain like pain points that you think the recruiter might bring up of how you're maybe not not as qualified or like what you might be lacking, and just craft your story to highlight how maybe indirect experience of doing of or, or raising money for a nonprofit or doing something outside of your direct like skill where you actually develop those skills or you, those interpersonal skills and bring it back into the conversation so then the hiring manager is like oh snap like i thought she wasn't like qualified and he might be genuinely just like thinking that you're not qualified but if you can actually show them like hey like i've actually raised like a hundred thousand for this nonprofit mm-hmm. by uh cold, cold calling donors then they'll be like oh well she does have the experience so right, i'll give her yeah. that that promotion yeah, yeah yeah if you just sit down and think of like what are the worst most horrible questions that this person could ask me and you know involve your friends involve your family whoever you need to do to brainstorm like what are the toughest things they're going to ask and be prepared in that way you'll have so much confidence going into that yeah. situation and i love yeah. you all both broke both brought up both of those examples because a lot of times when you do your research uh, you don't want to always just like dump all that knowledge on them you want to ask questions that you already have the answers for and you're leading them down a path that's going to hit you towards your goal i know that sounds very manipulative but it's like it's just preparation and like i think the best presentations are conversations mm-hmm. anyway yeah, yeah. So. well said that's totally. tweetable yeah, awesome <laughs> tweet that. well <laughs> well for our live audience and uh, our audience listening in the podcast so melissa offered to give away her course email course on negotiations so melissa can you tell our listeners how they could receive it yeah, yeah. if you go to my website which is melissaherford.com mm-hmm. it's h e r e f o r d and we'll include uh, it in the show notes for sure. Okay, yeah. awesome. There's a, a button on that homepage mm-hmm. where you can click and sign up to get my free email mm-hmm. course. It's six emails and it's all about how do you take the fear out of negotiating. Like it. And I really approach negotiation, I'm sure you can tell from this conversation, as conversational. I'm not going to drop a million like big words that mean nothing. I mm-hmm. try and make it really relevant and in language that you can easily use. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And I'm actually, I just came up with this on the spot, but we always say that you should never code in isolation, but yep. you also should never yeah. try to figure out these types of issues in isolation. Right. Yep. So if you are listening and you feel like you want to kind of prepare for these conversations, just add me on Facebook. And what I'll do is I'll create a Facebook group, like through Facebook Messenger. And whoever emails me, I'll add those people to that group. And it might be five of you. It might be 20 of you. So then we can all try to brainstorm ideas. You can practice rejection points and we can just do it all as a team. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. I love that. I also have a YouTube channel under Melissa Hereford. Mm -hmm. And I only have five or six videos, but I'm adding to them every day. So if you have situations that you want an answer to, I'll make a little video for you. I mean, they're usually three or four minutes long with simple tips about things you can do right away. So if you put me in that group, I'll, yeah. I'd be happy yeah. to do and so. We'll so add, so and the biggest thing is we will add Melissa to the group. So if you have any questions, she'll be more than happy to do the yeah. videos. Yeah. For it also sounds like yeah. we might need to do a, a AMA 
live on negotiation and people come in and do role it's already coming it's already coming like that yeah and everyone listening please take melissa up on this offer it's an amazing opportunity to step up your negotiation game not just for salaries but like she mentioned in your relationships your friendships everywhere else in life so please check out her website check out timor's offer and message him on facebook and they will put you all in touch and hopefully you guys and girls are making uh six figures or more or whatever it is that you want if it's not money that you want so whatever you're getting whatever you want in life so the most important hopefully after this conversation you're gonna remember you're gonna ask and you're gonna be okay with with rejection and what's the most important is to keep going exactly Exactly. said well yeah so without further ado let's break in yeah let's break in guys (laughs) peace (laughs) thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought in the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.